Today's message is going to be called Our Peace. Can you all say Our Peace? peace. Say it backwards. I'm just kidding. Um, I love doing that. It's just because there's like a panic. Like, what does that mean? Um, We have been going through the book of Ephesians, and we are going to continue going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, We want to take you from beginning to end, so you have a whole book of the Bible that we've studied together as a church. Uh, So we are continuing uh, through Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be doing verses 14 to 18 today. Um, Really, this section that we've been going through, we should have preached in one sitting all the way to verse 22. But I feel like I couldn't have done that in 30 minutes, and I didn't want to preach for an hour and a half because I could have. Uh, And so we're just going to cut this into pieces. So today we're going to be really dealing with the peace of God. Um, Now, if you guys remember, and if you're new in the building today, you don't remember, and that's okay. Uh, But if you guys remember what we've been saying, a lot of scholars would define the book of Ephesians as the book of identity. Absolutely. Glad a pastor knew. Um, A book, the great book of identity. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The great book of identity, because more than any other book of the Bible, Paul is really dealing with identity. He identifies the exact members of the Trinity. He identifies their role. It's the book that he calls you saints. More than any other book in the Bible, he refers to the term saint in this book of the Bible because he is highlighting to his people that you are saints, that you are elected. We talked about how God chose you from the foundations of the earth a few years ago because the point that Paul really wants this Gentile group to know is that even though you weren't quote-unquote quote God's people he chose you anyway and he had a plan for you anyway and there was always a purpose to bring you to him anyway and so you'll notice in the next five verses the word peace is referenced three times in all three times it is in different contexts but in all three of those contexts it is the exact same Greek word and that Greek word is irene which we actually I brought it for you in my handy dandy my handy dandy notebook you know what I'm saying uh irene which means tranquility harmony concord and security now anytime you say the word irene it doesn't always mean all four of those things it means one of those things in context What's really fun, though, is this week, it actually means all four of those things. (laughs) Uh, So this is going to be really fun. You're going to see the word Irene three times. The first Irene is the definition, which is that Jesus Christ is our peace. I'm giving you the rubric before we go through the sermon so you know as we go through what we're talking about. The first, the definition of peace, definitionally to a Christian, is one word. That word is Jesus. It's crazy. It's awesome. Fantastic. What is our Irene? What is our peace? It's Jesus. Now, that peace does come in three forms. We're going to deal with two of them largely today because the third one's going to sneak in next week. But the three forms is peace between you and your fellow man, right? And that's talking about how God brings peace between the Jewish people and the Gentiles that we can come together and worship one God together. Uh, The other peace is between you and God, right? It's not popular to say. It's not fun. But we talked about it last week and the week before that. Uh, That is, the Bible says that at one point you were actually an enemy of God. This whole concept of who everyone's born, a child of God, that is biblically, that's not even anywhere in the Bible, right? Actually, what the Bible says is that we were born children of wrath, and God brought us in and made us in the image of his son, meaning that we were not his children, but he made a way. He opened a door, and he brought us through. He went to find you, and that's why the Bible calls it adoption. You don't adopt your own children. You adopt someone else's. 
but he adopts you. He changed your name, and he brought you through the door. Amen. That's our second definition of peace, which you will see very clearly today. And the third definition, which doesn't come up so much today, uh, but it will be coming up here pretty soon. I just want to in your radar. is talking about the peace of your own mind. Right? That an internal security, that you are so secure in who you are that when things go wrong or things fall apart or things don't seem to go the way that you had planned, you're actually still able to weather the storm. Or as we've defined peace is that picture where there's a storm and in the middle of the storm there's a cave and in that cave there's a dove resting on a branch. And peace is not the absence of storm, it's the ability to perch in the midst of a storm. Amen? All right. We're going to read the verse, we're going to pray, and we're just going to have a great time breaking down these five verses. So Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to go from verse 14 all the way to verse 18, and then we'll break them down verse by verse after that. For he himself, uh, spoiler, he is Jesus. Uh, For he himself is our peace. Peace ultimately is not a state of mind. Ultimately, it's a person. Now, that person impacts our state of mind, right? Which is why the Bible says to have the mind of Christ. Right? Have the mind of the Prince of Peace. For he himself is our peace. Uh, He who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We will break that down because that is a, a word sentence. Uh, 15, by abolishing the law of commandments... I thought he didn't abolish the law. I thought he came to fulfill it. We'll talk about that too. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Yeah, I'm saying. Uh, That he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Verse 16. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. That means that before there was hostility and he came and preached peace there it is again third time to those who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father but dear lord in heaven i pray you give me wisdom wisdom to speak wisdom to keep it short but concise (laughs) god thank you for peace Thank you that you brought it. It's not something we fought for or we earned or we meditated enough to receive or we set our lives up just perfectly so now we can have access to it. But thank you, God, that you brought it freely, as your word says, to those who are close and those who are far off. In the name of Jesus, I say, amen. All right, let's, let's, just, let's, just, let's just go. You'll notice the phrase, if, if you are like me and like when words are repeated, it's like, Nails on chalkboard because whenever I was in writing class, they're always like, oh, you shouldn't use the same word twice. You got to change it so that the sentence sounds fresh and drilled into my brain. And now it's like both, 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 both. Like if you notice the word both was like two or three times in every sentence I spoke to you today. Who are the both? I heard a preacher recently get up and say the both is the old man and the new man. Hallelujah. That is bad doctrine. Oh, my goodness. Boy, wouldn't even read in his scripture. He just, he just had a message. Uh, no, that both, literally, I know this might not, because we're in a meshing pot. We're in a melting pot, right? Like everyone's in the room. I got, got white people. Shout out. I'm just kidding. Uh, I, got, <laughs> I, got, I got African-Americans in the room. Got Latins. We got, uh, we got Filipino. I, I'm, I'm just going to quit guessing now, because it's going to get real bad. Um, Irish. What? Oh, uh, it's a melting pot, even in our room, right? 
like even amongst our pastors, we are equally diversified. <laughs> and that's not on purpose. That's just God. Um, so for us, I think the concept, I know, I know that like if you look on like the radio or the news, what, who looks at the radio? If you look at the radio, stop. Uh, just watch the news. Like, like I'm making this your problem now. Uh, I said it, but no, don't even go to the radio. It's ridiculous. Um, you'll notice uh, that, that culture is telling us that there's a big race issue. But then you take a look around and you realize, oh, we're, we're all here. We're all chilling. And I mean, arguably, this is because we're the church and God unifies. Um, but we're all here. But in this culture that we're dealing with, we were not all here. And so literally, every time you see the word both, Paul, the both is Jews and Gentiles. It's Glenn and Ellen and the rest of us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> God brought us together so we could all worship together. Because before, only they were going to heaven. Like, for real, though. Uh, <laughs> God made a way. Hallelujah. Um, but all those boats you're going to see, he's dealing actually with racial unity, which is awesome because we didn't plan it for this. But I mean, why, let's talk about it. Right. Um, he's talking about racial unity because here's the thing. Do you remember the story where the man walks up to Jesus and he says, who is my neighbor? What we have to understand is in Jewish culture at the time, the word neighbor was a legal term. It meant Jewish person. It was a term used legally. You stole from your neighbor. Or translation, you stole from someone who was Jewish. So this man says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of a Samaritan who took care of a Jewish person. Because the answer to the question isn't what race are you. The answer to the question is, who are you being neighborly to? Because the onus, suddenly he put it on us. And you see these moments where, where Peter, like this Gentile community, they want to find Jesus. And Peter goes, oh, well, you can't. I'm sorry, you're, you're not Jewish, so the gospel isn't for you. And then the Holy Spirit rains down. And Peter goes, well, if God's not going to deny them, I can't deny them. Because there was a real racial issue. Look in the Bible. Paul has to rebuke Peter publicly for preferring a race over another. He has to be like, what are you doing? And he's writing these letters. And he's like, stop it. Because guess what? With the coming of Jesus, it does not matter your nationality anymore. And I want to argue something just for fun. Um, those new perfect bodies that we have, the Bible says will be consist of every tribe and every nation and every people. Guess what? Very likely, if you're black here, you'll be black in heaven. And if you're white here, you'll be white in heaven. <laughs> Someone got mad. <laughs> Pray for him. Pray for him. Um, but, but this is what Paul is dealing with. And you have to realize that there's, there's a weird tension to it. Because this isn't popular. And weirdly enough, it's still not popular. Because uh, we, 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 as natural people, we produce tribes. Based on your race, where you grew up, your last name. How much money you have. We, we do things like that. And actually, you know, what's crazy is the Bible doesn't even tell you to stop being tribal. It tells you, it encourages tribalism. And it says, but your tribe is a kingdom tribe. Your tribe is the people submitted to Jesus. And you actually are supposed to prefer your fellow brother and sister in Christ. Literally, there's a verse that says, prefer the brethren. <laughs> prefer them. That's why Jesus has to be born again. It's a new family, new blood. And he's dealing with this. And so if we go back to verse 14, he 
He says, for he himself is our peace. He has made us both one. This is, a, this is talking about race. Yeah. Jewish and Gentile. Yeah. Because that was their scope, by the way. Yeah. You either were Jewish or you were not. There wasn't clout based off race. It was just zero, a hundred. <laughs> like, you know, that's all it was for the Jewish people. Um, for he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Right. You know how many people I've seen use this verse to say the dividing wall was the holy of holies? It's talking about race. It's actually dealing with the fact that it's like your people worship on that mountain and my people worship on this mountain, which is actually something someone said to Jesus in the Bible. And he says, your people worship, you know, not what, right? But Jesus has come and fully revealed God in the flesh and in his flesh, he broke division, which is why Christians have no business dealing with race. We don't. We also have our tribe saved or not. If you're saved, I prefer you. And if you're not, I'm going to preach you the gospel with everything I have in me because I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so that doesn't make me thumb my nose at you. Right? Oh, you're, you're, oh, you're homosexual? Well, you can't come to church then. Like, what is that nonsense? Oh, you better turn or burn. That's not helpful. Sit down, love people, walk with them. The wall of hostility is broken. Just because they wear their sins on their sleeve doesn't mean that yours isn't buried and hidden and that you're not pretending. You know what I'm saying? Like, like this is important. This is important. Like, oh, we can't have this person. I, I've actually heard this conversation. It's like, you can't have this person attend the church because they're, they're still living with their, with their girlfriend. And it's like, yeah, but you probably watched porn last night. Like, what's the difference? Sin is sin is sin is sin. And that's why we all need Jesus. Every single one of us. In Christ, there is no hostility between nations. Through, there is no hostility between nations, ready? Uh, though without him, they rage against one another. I love that. It says, in his flesh, which means by his death. Jesus died, hear me, for racial unity. And I got, regardless of what was happening in politics, we would have this conversation right now. And here's why. Because I don't care what's going on. I'm literally just going through the Bible one verse at a time. <laughs> it just happens that God is sovereign and decided, guess what we're talking about today? You know? Because this is actually what Paul's dealing with. We're going to jump to verse 15 now because I don't have a lot of time left. Uh, by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Pause. Jesus Christ made the law so ineffective that Jewish people will no longer find access to heaven through the law. Let's talk about this word. I, I love this verse right here because it says he abolished the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. That word for abolished means, this is the only Greek word I couldn't figure out how to pronounce, but we got it for you. Katar Jesus, Katar Jesus, you know what I'm saying? Good luck. Write it down. It's on the screen for you. It's why I brought it, because I can't say it. I don't know what that liney E means, so I don't know how to pronounce it. But it means inoperative. So Jesus, what he was saying was Christ rendered the law inoperative, as in it's not operating in your midst anymore. Now, here's the thing. What the Bible will teach us, as we die and as we go to heaven, if you do not know Jesus, you will be held to the law, which because of Jesus, none can fulfill. 
Well, actually, even before Jesus, they couldn't, but let's, let's not talk about that. None could fulfill. But it's inoperative in our midst. And so we deal with the perfect law of grace. First, I want to take you to Matthew 5, 17. Uh, did I give you that verse, Deacon? Or I did perfect. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And in his fulfilling of them, they stopped being operative in our midst. So when someone goes, oh, you're a Christian? Well, you can't have shellfish. It's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it's inoperative. <laughs> you don't even follow the whole Bible. I do, but I'm excited to hear what you're about to tell me. You know what I'm saying? Like, how often is like, oh, is that shirt half cotton, half something else? Because you can't have two different fabrics touching. And it's like, yeah, you can. I'm not Jewish. The law is inoperative. What is the law to a Christian? There are three rules. Love God with our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. That is dealing with you and God. That's the first pillar of our church, your relationship with God. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I love that because he's flipping it on its head because they think neighbor is Jew. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he's saying the world. That's actually our third pillar, which is to make disciples of the nations. And the third law that we talk about a lot here that is often forgotten when people deal with what are the greatest commandments is on Jesus' last night of his life. He said, and I come and I give you a new command. Love each other as I have loved you. Because my love for you is not based on how you treated me. It's based on how Jesus treated me. Once again, that's why there's no room for politics and race and gender when interacting lovingly with one another. Look, some of y'all believe some stuff that blows my mind and I think you're insane. Right? But it doesn't mean I'm not going to pray for you. I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to spend time with you. I, I think some things I think that are creep into the church are genuinely wicked. Right? But it doesn't. But so we talk about it. We have conversations and we all have to come to the conclusion that we are laying our lives on Jesus and that his definition of how this world should be should be ours. No, I do not think that Christianity should be an enforced government in this world, but I think Christians should vote according to the Bible. And if there are more Christians in the nation, then the laws will actually reflect it. But we shouldn't, by force, make Christianity the de facto because we don't fit there. That's not, that's not our role. That's not who we are. We just preach peace. We preach love. Love your neighbor as yourself, which again is to prefer the brethren, which is our second pillar, which is to find community. This is a church you can find community because if you know Jesus, um, then we know that we are to love you like Christ loved us. I've always heard it said where people talk about, it's like husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and husband and, and wives respect your husbands. And they always say, and husbands got it harder because it's harder to love than respect. And it's like, listen, God actually called all of us to love. And he called all of us to love each other. How Christ loved the church. The law is complete in Christ and therefore has no part of the believer's lives. We follow Christ's law or the law of grace, which is to love God, love one another and love your neighbors yourself. He did this so we would be at peace and in unity. There is no Jew or Greek, only Christians under one law and as one new people. That's a sentence I wrote, and there's three Bible verses hidden in there. Right? Let's go verses 16 and 17 as I try to land this plane a little bit. Um, I'm going to read through 16 and 17, then go back to 16. And he might reconcile us both 
Who's the both? Jews and Greeks. The nations. To God in one body through the cross. Hallelujah. There is a huge thing rising up in our nation. It's called uh, uh, Hebrew, Hebrew Roots, which actually deals with certain nations. that It's like depending on skin tone, Jesus died for you or didn't. Scanning the room for children, that's asinine. It's ridiculous when it comes to the Bible. He died for everyone, regardless. He died for you. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, he died for you. His blood shed for you. And if you're in this room and you do know Jesus, then you know every time you walk into the, into the presence of God, it's because there is a bridge built by the blood of his son. That's right. That's right. And it's not based on how you acted. Right. It's not based on how you deserved it. It's not even based on how long it's been since you prayed or since you walked into a church building. It's not based on how good of a Christian you are, how often you cuss or don't cuss. It's literally based on Jesus. That's it. One cross. thereby killing the hostility. Christianity, Christianity cannot deal with favor. We can't favor or unfavor people based on the nation they're from. It's just, this is what the Bible said. Um, and one cross, hostility is killed. Listen, we were once hostile to God. I'm going to read you three verses Technically five, but three sections, back to back to back. We're going to go really quick through it, okay? And let's go. Uh, i got to read it to you. i got to tell you the verse. Uh, Romans 5.15. I'm just like magically up here. Uh, Romans 5.10. Romans 5.10. I got it. Let's go. That's going to be the podcast. Romans 5.10. For if, while we were enemies, but pastor, he loves us all. Yeah, but you were his enemy. You know what I'm saying? We were reconciled to God by the death of of his son, you have to understand this is not possible, it's not popular. But until we understand the depth of our lostness, we cannot understand the heights of heaven and salvation. You have to understand you weren't just a sinner, you were an enemy of God, actively against him, operating in a kingdom that is contrary to his. But he made a way for you because you matter. It's not popular to talk about the enemy part, but it's very popular to talk about. And he didn't care. He made a way. Because the enemy status wasn't based on him. That was based on you. So he made a way based on him, not based on you. Right? We were enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That means you get to walk people to salvation now, right? It's not this whole thing of like, well, I preached and and Holy Spirit will get him if he wants to get him. No, Paul says, you owe me your soul for I saved you. What does that even mean? It's through Jesus, but you have to preach the gospel and walk people to repentance. It's not just, oh, they'll catch it as I live my life following Jesus. No, you have to speak. That's not my message, though. Uh, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Every sin of your life is not counted against you. 
It does not matter. God is not mad at you. He's not holding it against you anymore. He took it out on his son, which is why when Jesus says, let this cup pass from me if it's possible, that cup was the cup of wrath. There is a huge theology popping up that's like, that's not the cup of wrath. That's the cup of love. It was the cup of wrath because Jesus Christ did not want to face the wrath of God, but he knew he had to because you mattered, and he wanted you with him more than he wanted to avoid the wrath of the Father. You never have to face it. Your trespasses are not held against you. The sins you sin tomorrow will not be counted against you when you walk before God in heaven and earth because he made it as if he forgot and he cast your sin as far as the east is to the west. And the blood of Jesus writes your name in ink so dark that it cannot be erased and cannot be removed from the book of life. You are just saved. There's nothing you can do about it. He loves you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Next verse, Um, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Literally, he's telling them as we go, we beg people to come to Jesus. Again, I've heard a really popular sermon go, we don't beg people because God doesn't need to beg. I know he doesn't, but we do because we want you to know how beautiful salvation is. We should be able to comfortably have conversations with people that know Jesus, but we should not be comfortable with the fact that they do not know Jesus, right? Because all sin is just a love of Jesus issue. It's not a porn issue. It's not a homosexuality issue. It's not a murder issue. It's not even an abortion issue. It's a Jesus issue. And all of these issues that the church has elevated and held against people in this weird, oppressive way It's like you're making the wrong thing the thing. Now, again, sin is sin, which is why anytime I get the option to vote against some of these things, I will. But anyone needs Jesus. And I talk about this. There was a time where I was sitting in a ditch with a needle in my arm. And how many people would walk past heroin junkies and and say, no, they're too far gone. I wasn't. There are people in this room who used to be prostitutes. They weren't too far gone. There are people in this room who were suicidal and you weren't too far gone. You made it. There are people in the divorce is a sin. There are people in here who are divorced and you're not too far gone. God brought you right on in, made a seat right at the table, sat you right down and said, I love you. Pour you a drink of grape juice. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Colossians 1.20. Uh, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. So through him is Jesus. To reconcile to himself is the Father. So through Christ to reconcile to the Father all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Again, Jesus died ultimately to bridge the gap. So you'll notice there are two pieces being addressed in the scripture. The first piece is God's first goal, is I want to make people united. When Jesus talks about the good shepherd, right? He says there are those who, they are not good shepherds. They are, what is the word? Um, Thieves and robbers. And And then there are like the under shepherds or something like that. The hirelings who run away at the sight of danger. And he goes, but the good shepherd lays down his life. And he says, and I've come... For this fold, but also for the fold that is far off. 
that I am bringing in and making onefold. This is Jesus Christ saying the same thing as Paul, that God is reconciling all people. Who, were, who was the fold far away? The Chinese, the Germans, the Americans. That's, these are the far off folds that God is bringing to one place. That's us. So even when Jesus was here on earth, he was talking about a far kingdom of people who were his enemies that he wanted to bring in and embrace. And I wrote this. I love it. It, it almost doesn't fit in the sermon at all, but I just wrote it, so I'm going to say it. Our peace, Jesus preached peace. And I'm going to close. If the piano wants to come, so I'll actually close. I'd appreciate it. Um, the last verse, which is my favorite verse of this entire talk. I'm so excited to end on this. Uh, we'll go to verse 18, uh, back to Ephesians 2. And it says, for through him, who is him? Our peace, Jesus. Through him, we both, the nations, have access in one spirit. So the both becomes one in verse 18. In one spirit. Jesus says, I came not to clean the outer man, but the inner. He says, if you clean the inside of the cup, the outside gets clean. So it's like outwardly, 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 you may be two people, but inwardly, you're one. To the Father. This is what I'm so excited about. Uh, that word, you see the word, through him we both have access. You say access? Uh, that word is actually prosagogin. Probably not. But that word means approach. It literally means access and approach. Not sometimes access and sometimes approach, depending on the context. It actually always means access and approach. And so what, what Paul is saying right here, if we go back to the verse, verse 18. Uh, for through him, we both have access and approach in one spirit to the Father. He's not dealing with your ability to, to call God when you need something. He's dealing with your ability to literally walk into his presence and sit there. All of this, this peace, was so that you could come into the presence of God freely. As the Holy of Holies were rendered and God's presence went out into the world. It's like, do you know that during worship, God's presence was actually in this room? That you had access to it and you had the right to approach it. Or as Romans says, approach boldly the throne of grace. Is that Hebrews? <laughs> Is that Romans or Hebrews? Hebrews? Yeah, Hebrews. We approach boldly before the throne of grace. Boldly. It means, am I, am I allowed to be here? Yeah. I uh, didn't plan on sharing this. I think some of you saw me say, uh, post it, but I'm actually going to go back to it. As a quote I found when I was studying for this sermon, it was not originally going to be in this sermon, but, but now, it, now it's going to be in the sermon. And it's a, it was a really cool writing. It really touched me. It says, uh, there was once a monk who happened to slip and sin by himself continually, yet he would always arise at once and do his prayer rule. As in, this man wouldn't. I feel like some of us, after we sin, we feel like we have to give God space for a little bit. 
We're like, God, forgive me, but like we shy away. And it's like this man would rise right back up and go straight back into the presence after sinning. And he says, the demon that kept throwing him into sin lost his patience, seeing the courage and hopefulness of this brother. So he visibly appeared to him and said to him with vexation, don't you fear God, you defiled wretch? You have just sinned. So with that face, can you now stand before God? Aren't you afraid that God will burn you? But since this brother had a valiant soul, he said to the demon, this cell is a forge. You hit and get hit. As God is my witness who came to save the world, I will not stop fighting you, falling and getting up, beaten, beating and being beaten until my last breath. And then we will see who wins. You are Christ. Amen. <laughs> that is the confidence that God has towards us. That is the confidence that he gives us to come into his presence. You sinned again. Yeah, I did. And I know exactly where to go. Whereas when, when the man, Jesus cast out a legion of demons from the man, he was naked and had cut himself with the law of the stones. And he comes before God and, and Jesus casts out 2,000, 5,000, 20,000, we all debate, a lot of demons. And it says, and when they came, they found him clothed at the feet of Jesus. Who will win? You or Christ? We know the answer. Except for when we sin, we suddenly forget the answer. Christ is bigger than your sin. With dirty hands, go back to the presence of God. Don't clean off. Go back to the presence of God. It's a story I've told before and I'll tell it again. I stole it from another pastor, but I experienced it. It was a night when I walked in on Titus. He was screaming and crying. My son, he was in bed. I opened the door. I look in the crib. And this dude had pooped, thrown up, vomited, peed all over himself. His bed was an absolute mess. And he lifted up his arms at me. And I picked him up. It didn't matter what he was covered in, right? As the old saying goes, he was my son and I'm bigger than that. God is the same way towards us. This wall of hostility is defeated between us and each other. This wall of hostility between you and God, it is gone. Walk across the bridge into his presence. Approach freely, just like he has freely approached you. God found you when you were far away off. And under this word, prosegagen, or whatever, it says, uh, the definition I found on uh, Blue Letter Bible, which is the strongest concordance, it says, that relationship with God whereby we are accepted to him and have assurance that he is favorably disposed towards us. God's disposition towards you is positive. Those he has adopted and called his own. It's not, he sinned again. It's not that. I'm a creep. I watch my kids sleep. God does the same thing to you. This is biblically accurate. And often when we really get in, I try to really stick with theology. I will have sermons where it's like, oh man, this is rough. <laughs> Why are we talking about this? I love when we come into sermons like this because we get to unapologetically deal with the fact that you're just loved. According to all scripture, as we go all across the Bible, as we did today, <laughs> we see the consistent consensus that you are just loved. Last weekend, my pastor, Pastor Zach, as I actually close the sermon, this is a quote directly from him in the ending of his sermon. He said, coming to the Father is not a burden. And that struck a chord with me. Don't pray because you have to. 
God wants better for you than that. Don't put the burden of prayer on your shoulders. Don't put the burden of fasting on your shoulders. Don't put the burden of reading the Bible on your shoulders. Listen, talk with God. He will give you those desires. You don't fake it till you make it in the kingdom. You lean on the God who makes a way. Or as David cried out, teach me your ways, O God. If you don't want to read your Bible, talk to God about it. If you don't want to pray, talk to God about it. No, but it's true. Like, I, I don't get anything out of this, God. Teach me. And watch as he's faithful. He answers the dumbest little prayers all the time. I, I, I told this story once. I was literally, I, I was driving and I was listening to a sermon and the sermon preacher was talking about um, how God answers the littlest of prayers. And, and I was just like sitting there, I'm like, do I really believe that? And I said, God, if that's true, it was a bright sunny day, I said, make it rain. And for no reason, and to this day, I'll never know why, one raindrop hit the middle of my, my, my window. And it's like, God, why do you care so much? God answered a big prayer of mine today. I don't want to embarrass him, but I might. Today during service, I really felt it on my heart to pray for people who hadn't been here for a while. And one of my favorite people walked into church today. I love you. You're an answer to prayer. God answers prayers. And when I go and I pray to him, the door is wide open and he hears everything on my heart and he answers them with love and tenderness. It doesn't always look like I want it to look, but he answers all of our prayers. He listens. He gives ear to all of our prayers. He made a way for you. Today during prayer, me and Isaac were carrying our, our children around. And, uh, and Sophie was sleeping in Isaac's arms, sleeping in the arms of her father. And I was carrying around Isla, who was wiggling and squeaking and doing this and eating my watch and pulling my beard. And listen to me. It does not matter how you come to God. It just matters that you're in the arms of the Father. <laughs> Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person in this room. Uh, God, give us wisdom to understand the weight of your words today. God, give us hearts and give us understanding minds to really understand everything that was talked about today, what it means. God, you made a way. When it seemed impossible, you made a way. As the song goes, that you have, you've taken these fainted hearts and taken these tainted hands. You have brought us into your presence. You have washed us clean. Great river and the great fountain, God. I'm going to pray every person in this room who has been far off from you. God, I pray that they would realize that though they thought they were far, you were right next to them all along. I pray that they would turn and look at you with new understanding today. I pray that when they see you, they don't see judgmental eyes that they've imposed on you, but they see your eyes for what they really are, on fire and bright with desire, as the book of Revelation says, towards his people. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, I say, amen.